This podcast is brought to you by BMJ Best Practice. BMJ Best Practice offers evidence-based, continually updated and practical knowledge that will help you make better clinical decisions. Hello and welcome to this BMJ Best Practice podcast on Essential Tremor. Kieran Walsh is my name. I'm Clinical Director at BMJ. Essential tremor is common in older adults. Those who seek medical care are sometimes physically disabled and sometimes socially disabled by the tremor, and both can affect quality of life. To give us more details about this problem and what we can do about it, we have on the line Sheng Han Kuo, Assistant Professor of Neurology at Columbia University, New York. And importantly, Sheng Han is author of our BMJ Best Practice topic on this condition. So Sheng Han, you're welcome. Let's start off by asking, what exactly is essential tremor? Thank you so much for the introduction. Um, essential tremor is the most common movement disorder that people have tremor in both of their hands and affected their quality of life. The tremor usually come out when they are doing things, but not so much when they are at rest. So while the predominant feature of essential tremor is tremor in itself. Patients with essential tremor can also have other associated clinical features, such as involuntary movement called dystonic feature or cognitive problems. Sometimes can also occur later in life in people. Okay, thank you. And I wonder, are the right, is the right side and the left side equally affected usually? Usually, they are slightly asymmetry in terms of the severity of tremor in the right hand and left hand. Uh, but sometimes, about 10% of people, we can see pretty dramatic asymmetry can also happen. Okay, thank you. And it typically affects the hands. Can it affect other parts of the body? Yes. So people with essential tremor can also have tremor affecting their voice. When they talk, you can appreciate the sound of tremor. And uh, head tremor, especially no-no type of tremor, is also fairly common. Uh, this head tremor usually affects women more than men. Okay. And how do you make the diagnosis of essential tremor? The diagnosis of essential tremor is purely based on clinical feature uh, by posture and action tremor in both hands insidious disease onset, and minimal rest tremor, or other prominent dystonic features. So oftentimes, people will report that they have alcohol responsiveness. When they drink wine, their tremor can be reduced. And uh, uh, also a lot of times, people also report a family history of tremor. So with all these collective clinical uh, features, we can make a diagnosis of essential tremor. What's the difference between essential tremor and an intention tremor? Or, or is there a difference? So, intention tremor is a movement disorder phenomenology. Essential tremor is a disease. So, essential tremor can have some intention tremor component. In addition, can also have posture tremor component, meaning uh, holding hands out, you can appreciate tremor and also kinetic tremor. Now, so uh, when it, it, people are moving, 
they can also have tremor. So just so intentional tremor is one of the symptoms that people with essential tremor can experience. Okay, thank you. Are any investigations needed, or is it purely a clinical diagnosis? It, we mostly can diagnose based on clinical features of posture and action tremor. Sometimes it's very hard and not easy to differentiate with Parkinson's disease tremor, which is predominant rest tremor. People can have phenotypy overlapping. In the situation like this, uh, dopamine transporter scan, a death scan, can be used to assess dopamine deficiency. Parkinson's disease patient will have reduced death scan uptake, while essential tremor patient will have normal death scan. And can some people with Parkinson's disease have an essential tremor? Is that possible? This is also possible, right? So oftentimes we see people who have long-standing essential tremor and that develop Parkinsonian feature, such as a slowness in movement, rigidity, and gait problem, and dopamine deficiency on the desk. Sometimes we call these people who have essential tremor and then develop Parkinson's disease. Whether people with essential tremor have an increased risk of developing Parkinson's disease is a still a very controversial topic. Okay, thank you. Uh, what are the common pitfalls in diagnosis? The diagnosis of essential tremor, again, is based on clinical features. Therefore, it is very important to look at other associated features. For example, sometimes it is very important to differentiate with Parkinson's disease, which has predominant rest tremor and much less posture and action tremor. Another important differential diagnosis is dystonic, is dystonic tremor. People with dystonic tremor have irregular jerky tremor associated with dystonic feature as well. People with dystonic tremor often has involuntary movement with jerky dystonic posture. So those are the important considerations when diagnosis essential tremor. Okay, thank you. Um, let's move on to management now. What's the mainstay of management? The mainstay of management of essential tremor can be divided into three different categories. First, for people who have very mild tremor and do not affect their daily activity, but their tremor come out in a stressful situation. Uh, in situations like this, we will use propranolol and aprazolam as a needed basis before they go on to give a speech or before they have to do a performance, etc. However, if the tremor becomes worse and affected one's activity of daily living, then medication every day will be needed. In situations like this, propranolol and primadol are two first-line therapies that should be considered. For people who do not respond to either propranolol or primadol, topiramate may be used. If this all uh, do not work, uh, and for refractory tremor, botulina toxin into the forearm sometimes can be tried. And finally, we do have a surgical option for essential tremor is to put deep brain stimulator into the thalamus of a brain. And by giving the current to the thalamus, we can effectively suppress the tremor. 
Okay, thank you. Tell us about the potential side effects of of some of the the drug treatments that you mentioned. Yeah, the side effects of a propranolol and primadol are common in the elderly population, especially a lot of essential treatment patients are elderly. So, primadol is often come with a side effect of cognitive decline. And propranolol sometimes is not good for people who have asthma or underlying diabetes. Therefore, one should be very cautious of using this agent on the uh, essential patient population with those comorbidities. Topiramate also have a cognitive side effect and should be cautious. And also, I guess, propranolol can be associated with bradycardia as well. Yes, thank you so much for adding that. The side effect of botulina toxin in the forearm is a hand muscle weakness. It is difficult to inject in the forearm muscle, but still preserve the hand dexterity in some patients. Therefore, the injector also need to be cautious about that. For deep brain stimulation, while it's fairly effective, sometimes as time goes on, people are needed higher setting with stronger current, and that can result in non-specific stimulation to the neighboring brain structure. And that will result in sometimes speech problem and walking problem as well. So still some limitation, therefore novel therapy are required uh, to be developed in the future. Okay, thank you. And and deep brain stimulation, I, I'm guessing only rarely would patients be referred for deep brain stimulation. Is that correct? Yeah, it's only reserved for people who have refractory tremor, but it's actually not that rare. People with severe tremor, they oftentimes go on to deep brain stimulation. But right now we have a novel therapy. Uh, instead of using deep brain stimulation, we have something use a focused ultrasound, basically a non-invasive way to target the thalamus and create a small lesion in that region uh, to achieve the tremor suppression. And is that usually well tolerated, that, uh, that, that procedure, or are there any potential side effects associated with that? It's usually pretty well tolerated because people will bring the patient in and then they would do a temperature to gently heat up to reversibly suppress that part of a brain function to see whether there's tremor suppression. And that will then create a lesion after that. So in that sense, there is an additional safeguard in the procedure. However, the problem with the focus ultrasound is a subset of population may also experience tremor return after uh, this procedure for several years later. So it could could be helpful for many people, but they still can have a caveat to itself. Okay, thank you. And what about non-drug or non-procedural measures? Uh, Like I've seen spoons that can help people with tremor. Are they worthwhile? Yeah, certainly you can try. So there are spoons that can generate anti-tremor frequency so that's certainly worthwhile trying. And also weight loading is also, also weight loading is a very good way to uh, 
suppress the tremor severity because when you have a heavier object in your wrist, you can uh, naturally reduce the uh, tremor amplitude. Or sometimes people use heavier utensil. Right now, we do have a new device coming up to the market. It's a wearable device. They can generate anti-tremor frequency. Uh, in, it's looking fairly promising in a clinical trial, but uh, hopefully it will be a great addition to help people with severe essential tremor. Okay, thank you. And what about um, pitfalls in management? Are there any pitfalls in management? I think the pitfall for management lies about uh, a lot of times pharmacological therapy are not so satisfactory. So sometimes you need to combine two or even three types of pharmacological therapy to help with tremor or just combine what the, the technique or the strategy that we mentioned above. Uh, therefore, new therapy certainly need to be developed. Okay. Thank you. Um, what have we missed? What other common questions do you get asked about essential tremor? One of the common questions that we get asked a lot is that, is that, you know, how do I know whether my family will develop essential tremor, right? So it's a disease about 50% of people reported a family history of uh, essential tremor, so it's highly hereditary. However, to this day, we don't really have a good way to answer the question because it's possible it's a complex gene environmental interaction or polygenetic. Uh, each gene contributes to a small percentage of a disease. Therefore, it's very hard to do a genetic test to predict who will develop essential tremor or not. Okay. Thank you very much, Sheng Han. And thanks to you all for listening. We hope that this has been helpful and we hope you'll be able to put what you've learned into action to better diagnose and manage affected patients. If you want to find out more, click the link in the podcast to sign into BMJ Best Practice and have a look at the content on this and other diseases. Thank you once again.